Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to our morning worship service. Uh, we are in a series on Christian worship. We're going especially in First Corinthians. We're looking at the uh, cert, uh, certain passages from the second portion of, of the New Testament letter to First Corinthians. And we've been saying that there are really four essential elements to worship as we understand them here at Faith Christian Fellowship. We're, we want worship that glorifies God, that, that glorifies Him. We put Him first. Then worship that exalts Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Then worship that edifies or builds up the believers, those who trusted in Christ. And then fourthly and lastly, a worship that welcomes or attracts seekers, those who don't know Christ yet but would be interested in knowing uh, the true living God. Those are our four priorities. Those are the four things we use to evaluate our worship ministry here at Faith. That's been here for many years. One of, one of the important questions is, how important is Scripture in worship? How important is Scripture in worship? It's essential. It, it is vital. It is important that, that all we do is grounded in the Word of God and that we understand the power of His Word to change lives. In Ephesians 6, believers are encouraged to take up the armor of God, the full armor of God, he talks about there, and part of that armor is, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer says, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the power of God's Word. So we've been looking at this passage of, on worship from 1 Corinthians. We began in the middle of chapter 11. We're now at the end of chapter 14. And one thing that, that Paul didn't have to address with them is, is the issue of preaching because he did it earlier in, in, in the book of 1 first, uh, first Corinthians. Let's look at this passage today. Today we're going to look at verses 36 to 40 of chapter 14. We're going to talk about preaching and the Word of God as Paul talks about it here in this passage at the end of 1 Corinthians 14. On, you see it on the overhead. And Paul says, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are the are command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but, in all, thing, but all things should be done decently, and in order. And my title is God's Sanctifying Word. God's Sanctifying Word. Sanctified to set aside as holy. Now, we don't naturally understand God or naturally desire to follow God. God has to, to bring that to us in his chasing of us, as, he's, as we just heard in that song. And, and God uses his word. He uses his word to chase us down. His, his, his holy word. The Holy Word creates a holy people. The Holy Word of God is used by God to create a holy people, to chase us down initially and to continually work in our lives holiness. That's my theme today. Jesus said in John 17 in the prayer, we preached this a few months ago, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. Sanctify through the truth of God and his word is the truth. Saints, sanctified, saints, saints are sanctified, saints are those who are set apart. 
set apart. The New Testament, uh, uh, that's the New Testament definition, not the worldly definition of saints for people who are super duper holy. That's not the biblical definition. The biblical definition is the saints are those that are set apart unto Jesus Christ. In fact, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the second verse, verse, chapter 1, verse 2, he calls the church of Corinth the saints, those sanctified in Christ. That's part of the mystery of sanctification is, is, is that we are holy. We are set apart by Christ at salvation, and that's our position, and that's why we can, we can have confidence that we are in him and, that, and, and that, we, that even when we pass from this life, not because of us, but because of him, we will be justified or declared right, and we will be with God. That's the confidence that we have because we are once sanctified and made holy when we trust Jesus Christ because it's his record, not my record, that God looks at. That's the good news of the gospel. But also, we are becoming holy. We're becoming sanctified. We're becoming saints. And that is our condition in a broken world. I don't know about you, but I ain't sanctified yet. Just ask my wife. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul has talked about this already. He can't, so he doesn't go into it. But in chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, he says this about the saints at Corinth. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. What a powerful couple of verses there. God is doing a work of sanctification in his church. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. So public worship is one of the primary means that God uses to sanctify his people, to make us holy as saints, to remind us that we really are saints, though we sometimes we don't act like it. God's people are, are, are saints, sinners, and sufferers. Have you heard that before? We are sinners. We need words that convict us of our sin and of our need to grow in grace. And so we come to worship. We sing songs like, come ye sinners, poor and wretched. That's us. <laughs> we sing, would he withhold that sacred head for such a worm as I? That's why we worship, to remind ourselves that we're sinners. But we're saints. <laughs> we need words reminding us of his grace. And so we sing, amazing love. How can it be? That you, my king, should die for me. We sing grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will conquer and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. We, we sing that together. We remind each other through music. We're sufferers and we need words of hope. So we sing soon and very soon. We're going to see the king. No more crying there. No more dying there. We're going to see the king. We sing, I'm so glad trouble don't last always. We, we, we come to worship to remind ourselves of what is reality for those who know Christ. That's why we encourage one another with the truth of who we are in Christ. From this text, uh, my, my outline is three simple words. Apostles 
ministers and saints. The apostles are the human authors of the word of God. The ministers are those who proclaim God's word. And the saints are those who are being transformed by God's word. First, the apostles are human authors. The human authors of God's word. And Paul, as he winds down this chapter, becomes very authoritative, if you notice the tone here. Was it from you the word of God came, he says? Are you the only ones it's reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. He is being very authoritative there, isn't he? He's wrapping up this section on spiritual gifts, and he's carefully stated his case in the three chapters. He, he, he's talked about the fact that God sovereignly gives gifts to his children, that we need, we need to use those gifts in a loving way. And then in chapter 14, which is his main point, he talks about the loving way that these gifts are to be used in the body of Christ as we worship him. And that's what he goes through all the details we've looked at over the last month or so. We're to use them in the proper order to edify the body, to build one another up. And therefore, his point is that prophecy has precedence over their beloved gift of tongues. That's his main point. <laughs> when you really pull the, 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 the cover off of the chapter, he begins with that, he kind of ends with that. You love tongues, and he says, the tongues okay, but prophecy is more important than tongues. That's his point. And that's what he's heard as a problem in the Corinthian church. In, in, in chapter 1, he heard from Chloe's people. You can look in chapter 1 and find Chloe there. He's heard reports about their, that they had these things out of order. Uh, Charles Hodge says this, a commentator, the apostle not only condemns any church acting independently of other churches, but also of a particular church acting from his own impulses without regard to others. Okay? He says, are you the only ones that have the truth? <laughs> Leon Morris, in his commentary, says he has given his judgment faithfully on the matters raised, and he's in no doubt that God has guided him in what he has said. Paul's very confident here. He makes the high claim for the things he has written, that they are the commandments of the Lord. The Lord is in the emphatic in the Greek. No higher claim could possibly be made. The bearing of the question of the way the New Testament writers viewed their inspiration should not be overlooked. Paul maintains not only that he has written the commandment of the Lord, but that anyone who is a prophet or who's spiritual should acknowledge this. Some of the Corinthians thought they had spiritual discernment. Let them show it by recognizing inspiration when they saw it. <laughs> Leon Morris. Paul's apostolic authority. The authority was given to the apostles in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 in the upper room. What Jesus said, you're going to be the ones who are going to, going to have the, the message and pass it on, write the message on, and proclaim that message. You might remember in Acts chapter 2 when the church was birthed. Uh, I, I heard a message years ago, years ago, by John Stott on that passage. He talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit came and fell upon the believers, and they spoke in languages, and, 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 and Peter preached, and then they had to get organized because, you know, you had 3,000 people in one day who came to know Christ. They had to organize, and, and, and Scott then says that the first thing it says of the four things that they committed themselves to was the apostles' teaching. And he, Scott pauses and says, here they had each had an experience, an amazing experience of the Holy Spirit personally. Did they therefore have, because the Spirit was in their life, a sense of we know and the leaders don't know, the apostles don't know? He said, no. The first thing they did was submitted themselves to God's word. May it be true of us who, who, who possess the spirit of God. 
that there's not a dis- disconnect between possessing and knowing the Spirit and believing the Word of God and understanding it and following what it says there. Paul, of course, was not one of the 12, but in Galatians 1, he talks about the fact that, that Jesus came to him and, and he got his calling there, his authority from Jesus. It wasn't conferred upon him by another. It's very interesting in 2 Peter chapter 3, the end of the chapter, where Peter says this about the patience of the Lord and salvation, which is the name, which that chapter is about. But he says, Peter says, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Peter, talking about the apostle Paul, 2 Peter 3, 16, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things, Peter says, in them that are hard to understand. And some of you say amen, right? But then Peter says, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter calls the word of Paul scripture. Peter said there's stuff in Paul's scripture that some of us get confused about. But he says Paul's word is scripture. Will we submit to that? We are to submit to the authority of the apostles and the prophets of the Old Testament and the word of God by submitting to scripture. See, the, the lordship of Christ in our life is basically submitting to what God says about the world and about ourselves. Uh, uh, D.A. Carson says this, the word Lord is placed in an emphatic position, and Paul is therefore associating submission to what he writes to submission to the Lord. Not to submit to what the apostle writes is thus to deny the lordship of Jesus, which is the Christian's central confession as stipulated at the beginning of these three chapters. We talked about no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 12, verse 3. J.I. Packer wrote, writes this. What Scripture says, God says. What Scripture says, God says. For in a manner com- comparable only to the deeper mystery of the incarnation, the Bible is fully human and fully divine. So all its manifold contents, histories, prophecies, poems, songs, wisdom writings, sermons, statistics, letters, and whatever else should be received as from God, and all that the Bible writers teach should be revered as God's authoritative instruction. Christians should be grateful to God for the gift of his written word and conscientious in, in basing their faith and life entirely and exclusively upon it. Otherwise, we cannot ever honor or please him as he calls us to. The apostles, the apostles' word, we have it in the New Testament writings. The second thing I want to talk about in this passage it's the proclaimers of the word, the ministers of the word. There's, he talks about the, some who, may, they're at Corinth, who may be spiritual or prophets. These are the local, not the apostles, but the local leaders who may have, be the proclaimers locally of the word of God. God, God has given gifts in Ephesians 4. He talks about the various gifts. There's pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And, 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 and the pastors and teachers are, are, are the the perpetual offices. Apostles and prophets were not perpetual. Pastors and teachers are perpetual and ongoing offices. And, and uh, there's a, the New Testament, there's a lot of warnings. There's a sober charge the New Testament gives to we who are proclaimers of the word of God. Um, in First Peter 4, it says, to, those who speak are to speak as ones that speak the very oracles of God. That's, that's a sobering thing. 
for those who would want to teach. It says in James chapter 3 to, to, to don't eagerly rush into being a teacher because you'll be judged more, judged more strictly. We're held accountable for how we teach. You know, talk, Jesus talked about the blind leading the blind. They both fall into the pit. And that's the, that's the sober responsibility of those who would want to communicate God's word. Preachers are to study the word of God. Second Timothy chapter 2 and chapter 3. He, Paul tells Timothy, this young pastor, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, rightly handling God's truth, the scriptures. That's the task and responsibility and the privilege of, of, of those who teach the word of God. And later in, in 2 Timothy, he says a verse that maybe some of us know. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teachings, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. But we forget the last part, the second half of the verse, of, of, the, of the, the sentence, verse 17. We, scripture is, 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 is breathed out by God that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That phrase, man of God, Google it. No, look it up in the con concordance. <laughs> the, phrase, the phrase man of God in scripture is it's worth for prophets and leaders. So th this verse, I've said this before, this verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, is a verse for all of us. There's an application for all of us. All of us need to trust scripture and study scripture, but specifically, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you study your Bible and you teach it to, the, to your people. That's what he's saying in his verse. It, this is a verse of, of, of the Apostle Paul to his young disciple, uh, who's a young pastor, Timothy. The word of God is your, it, 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 it's your, it's what you are to use to train up your people. So preach the book. Preach scripture is what Paul urges him. And he, of course, it was read before the whole church and the whole church heard that Paul wanted Timothy to preach scripture <laughs> in that day. Take the time to dig in and see what God has said, because God has spoken through his word. The word in, in this passage, uh, back in, in Corinthians, he says, he uses the word, a strong word, the word command. That's, commands are not suggestions. An apostolic command is not, not a suggestion. So, so, so we who handle the word and, and, and teach the scriptures are to handle it carefully, because we're going to give an account. Preachers are to, to, to study the word. Preachers are to live the word. We're to live the word. We, later in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, is, is a great passage, he, he, he points to the need for preachers to have a, a passion for the lost, to have a humility in serving their people, to have cultural intelligence about how to navigate different cultures, and about... about and almost have a, almost a fanatical commitment to discipline and sacrifice in your life. And that's what 1 Corinthians 9 is all about. It's, it's ta he's talking about himself and how he buffets his body as a boxer because he, wants, he doesn't want to be disqualified. And that's a word for all of us who teach God's word. We're to live what we say. Preachers are to preach a word that points people to Jesus Christ. For earlier in 1 Corinthians, we heard chapter Chapter 1, chapter 2, where the wisdom of the cross is promoted. The wisdom of the cross, that is what's primary. It's a foolish message about a horrible, shameful death. And to the unbelieving world, it points to weakness. But to God's elect, it points to power 
life-transforming power. The cross not only reminds us of our sin, but as the songwriter says, he breaks the power of reigning sin and sets the prisoner free. That's the power of the cross. Creatures are to clearly communicate the word so that people can be persuaded that God wants transformation in our lives. It's about change. Gospel-grounded change rather than guilt-based change. But change is what it's all about. A verse in Ezra chapter 7 that I love is a a good verse for those who want to teach and preach the word of God. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God and to do it, to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra, Ezra the great priest, high priest, he did three things. He studied to do or practice other translations, and then he could teach. And for us who teach the word, there's a warning there. Don't get them out of order. You need to do. You need to be, you need something, you need to be part of your life before you can pass it on to others. Another application of this, as we talk about ministers, is we just heard the, the, the uh, announcement about uh, uh, Pastor J.B. coming in June, coming in May. He will begin in June. And uh, just, again, pray for the preacher. Pray for Pastor J.B. I know you're doing that. I just want to encourage us to continue doing that. As he seeks to, to finish well at St. Rock's in, in New Orleans and to, and to move his family to Baltimore. He's a deep... <laughs> Spent some time with him this week. He was up for Presbytery. He's excited about coming. He wishes he could come sooner, but the timeline just seems to be that this is what God wants. And, and he's very thankful uh, that, 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 that our elders are very wise and sensitive to his, the needs of his family. And then you need to know that. He, he was willing to come without his family. You need to know that. The elders said, stay with your family. Your family will need you during this transition. And he's very, very, very eager to come, but appreciative that the timeline is a little bit longer than, than had been anticipated. So, but continue to pray for him as he, the, the, the transition that's going on with him. Pray for the preacher. And the third thing, the last thing in the passage, uh, is the saints. These are the ones who are transformed by the word. The spirit-filled ones who hear the word of God. Paul asked an interesting Question to the Corinthians, as we saw, verse 36. He, you know, he says, did the word of God start with you? And what do you, you know, he, he's concerned about the haughty spirit that says that we have it all together <laughs> as a congregation. That, that we are the Corinthians. Uh, we believe in grace. We aren't legalists. <laughs> we have Apollos, and we had Peter, and we had Paul. All these great apostles came, and these great Bible teachers came to us. And we have super gifted prophets and and we have tongue-talking saints. We got it going. And so Paul says, know your role here. <laughs> now, the other churches don't, shouldn't be modeling after you. You need to get in line with what's going on with the other churches of God that, that he's established. The reality is that they know, and Paul knows, deep down, they have some issues. And so Paul really calls them out. He has a very interesting relationship with the Corinthians. He's, he spent a year and a half there. He knows them very well. And he's had many correspondences with them as we tracked a while back. You know, God might say to Faith Christian Fellowship that you have some things that are wonderful, but, but, but don't get too haughty. Don't get too haughty. You got your issues. You might say you got lots of issues. I don't know. I, I don't know the voice of God there, but 
You have some things you could learn from other congregations that could strengthen who you are and strengthen the effectiveness of your service. As hearers, what is our responsibility as those who hear the word of God? Here's a list of things as we move on. Uh, several applications. One, pray for the preacher. We've talked about it already. Pray for the preacher. Colossians chapter 4. Paul invites the Colossians to pray for him. Second, listen with both ears. What do I mean by that? <laughs> listen with both ears. An ear to hear the voice of the preacher and the voice of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit can use the words of the preacher to say things beyond what the preacher has prepared. Have you learned that yet as you walk with God? Expect God to use this pulpit in your life. Expect it. Expect God to use this pulpit more than the great preachers you can get on the podcast. God will use this pulpit in your life. Not because of me or Craig or JB. Because that's what God does. I learned this lesson early in my ministry. I, I, uh, uh, at Forest Park, there was a man named Bobby Drayton. God believe the Lord now. He's a he was a dentist, and he was an elder. He became he became an elder. And I remember one Sunday I preached a message. It was okay. That Friday at the uh, at the session meeting, he said, "I want to thank you for your message Sunday." I said, "Well, is it?" He says, "Yeah." God encouraged me to quit my job, to quit my. He was a dentist. He was in a practice to quit and start my own practice. I said. I didn't say anything about that. What are you talking about? <laughs> what does that have to do with what I said? He said, don't worry, the Lord used it. And I said, okay. I learned then that I might be saying some things and I might have prepared some things, but the Holy Spirit is going to use through the miracle of preaching in your life to sanctify you through the truth as Jesus promised. Next, submit to the authority of God's word. Preachers' words are a lesser level than the apostles' word, but still should be listened to and heeded and even evaluated. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will, have, who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We're going to honor the messengers, and one way of honoring messengers is by not giving in to factions. One of the problems at the Church of Corinth was they had factions. And you know that? We, we didn't look at that in the early part of the book. We, we, we read something in, this, in the first chapter. But in the third chapter, here's a few, some verses from the church, third chapter. Paul says, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only as in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? So they had these cults, these factions. Some preferred one pastor, some preferred another pastor. Y'all don't do that, do you? <laughs> he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believe. And as the Lord is signed to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants. He who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we, me, Peter, Paul, Apollos, all of you, we are God's fellow workers. We're working together. You are God's field, God's building. Factionalism, no place for it. No place for it in God's church. And it was one of the, immature, the many immaturities of the Corinthian congregation. 
next. Imitate the messengers of the Lord. Imitate the messengers of the Lord. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's a scary verse for me. But in your elders, you, the, the, one of the responsibilities of being an elder is to have a life that, that is a model that others can say, yes, that's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I wanna, there's an imitation thing that, that needs to be there. Okay? Lastly, pr pray for the impact of God's word. Pray for the impact of his word on you and on others. There's a great song, old gospel song. I say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I say, yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. My answer will be, yes, Lord, yes. That is the attitude that we should bring when we hear God's word. We shouldn't, hear, we shouldn't just expect to hear things that are going to make us feel good. There will be some things that make us feel good. God is gracious. But if I'm a sinner, God is holy, there's going to be some things he's going to say to me that I need to hear that are going to be uncomfortable. And I need to say, yes, Lord, I, I, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. So Paul finishes up, uh, verses 39 and 40. Craig Blomberg says this about these. He says, unity and mutual edification always remain overriding goals. So in these verses, he, he's, he's summing up the whole chapter, probably the whole section of, of, cha of chapters on, on worship and gifts. He says, everything must be done decently and in order. But Paul's last word, Blomberg says here, does not endorse a dead formalism. Decorum itself is, a highly, is highly culture-specific. The thrust of chapter 14 still highlights spontaneity and freedom. We often say see, things have to be decently and in order, meaning that there can be no spontaneity. That's not what it means. He's saying that the spontaneity of prophecy and these things that he's talked about that were going on, they come to the context of make sure things are done decently in order. So he's not calling for total non extemporaneous spontaneity <laughs> in worship. <laughs> Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. The, the perfect sanctifying word that points to Christ and empowers us to hate sin and find progress in battling the internal and external forces that would hinder our, our sanctification. Faith comes from hearing of the word of God. You know, there are more and more voices, not only in our world, but in the church and in the pulpits of our churches that they're saying, we don't need the Bible, we just need Jesus. Beware. Th there are voices saying, we don't need the Old Testament, we just need Jesus. Beware. There are voices that say, we don't need Paul, we just need Jesus. Beware. Back in the garden, Mankind fell into sin. Why? Because the deceiver, the accuser, came to Adam and Eve with four deadly words. Did God really say? Beware. That continues to be his strategy. To doubt what God has clearly communicated in his word. 
the Bible tells us that even the heavens are declaring the word of God to us. Psalm 19, every day, every night, declaring his glory, declaring his handiwork, declaring to us that he is, that he exists. But are we listening? God has spoken. God is by his spirit still speaking. And when God's covenant people gather together in covenant renewal, they must always hear words of grace and words of challenge and words of hope from the Lord. The crisis of the church in our day is the crisis of the pulpit. Will we say what God has clearly said or will we compromise what God has said? May, may faith Christian fellowship always say lovingly but firmly no to the many, many voices of doubt. And may we joyfully, courageously say amen to the voices that point us to Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, the crucified, risen King of kings and Lord of lords, and the only hope to our doubting, dying world. Let's pray. But we are not apostles, but we have the word of the apostles. May we heed what you have said in your word. We pray for our congregation, Lord, as we continue to walk with you, pursuing you with all of our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Continually teach us through the leaders that you bring to us. We do want to pray for Pastor JB as he prepares to lead this body of believers here in Baltimore. Lord, may it be a great merger as we come together to hear from him. Lord, there may be people here today who don't know you, who, 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 don't, who haven't come under the word of God. May they know that it's a word of grace. It's a word for them. It's a word for today. It's a word of encouragement that you are our Lord and our Savior, only hope. May they find that hope in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's close with the first verse of how firm a foundation, saints of the Lord. <laughs>